Brian Ministries International presents Todd Talks, featuring Todd Edwards. Great and mighty God, you are high and lifted up. You and your name alone, Yahuwah, is above all things. We ask that your throne would be placed into the middle of this study today, into the middle of this fellowship, into the middle of our tribe, that you would bring down justice and judgment, that your presence would be overwhelming, that your heaviness and your weight and your authority would be present, that your word would go forth and infiltrate our hearts and permeate our bodies and our souls and our spirits. For by your word, all things were created, all things exist, and all things are held together, including us. Father, we ask for the revelation of Yeshua this morning. We ask that he would be revealed uh, in a new way, in a continuously glorious way. Just like all the angels bow down and cry out, holy, holy, holy is El Shaddai. We want to do the same thing this morning. Holy, holy, holy is the great El Shaddai. We declare that you are a hedge of protection round about us, and I take this study, I take this fellowship and place it under the shadow of your wings, that we would find peace, that we would find rest, that you would contend with those that contend against us, that you would protect us, that you would give us guidance, that you would shepherd us, that we would be a flock under the shadow of your wings with you as the great shepherd with your rod and your staff. For you are the commander of the host. You are Yahuwah Sabaoth. May you go forth mighty in battle on our behalf. Teach our fingers how to fight and our hands how to war. And may your mighty right arm go through the heavens into the earth on our behalf. Open our eyes and ears today. And we remove all stumbling blocks that the enemy and even ourselves have placed in the way from our hearing and our seeing. May your blood cover this study in our hearts. May your living water cleanse us and refresh us and renew us. And we receive the righteous, clean garments that you have placed on us as priests. Father, I call forth everyone's spirits and bless them, bless their ruler, bless their prophet, bless their teacher, bless their encourager, bless their servant, bless their mercy, and bless their giver. I call forth their soul to be whole and bless their emotions and bless their intellects and bless their will, bless their heart, bless their conscience. And I bless everyone's body, for you have given us a body to be the temple of the living God. And I bless all systems and functions in their body, that we would be aligned amongst each other and individually, 
for you are building a mighty nation, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, a treasured, purchased people, all for you. So we lay down all of our thoughts, all of our cares, all of our burdens at your feet. For we know that the government of the kingdom of heaven is upon your shoulders and your government will take over the kingdoms of this earth. Holy Spirit, we receive you. We ask for your guidance this morning. We ask that you would guide us to the place that you want us to go. May it be your perfect will. Above all things, Father, we thank you for your presence. May Zion be in the midst of us. May you be in the midst of us. There's nothing more, nothing more precious in your presence. For without you, we are wanderers. We are lost. But you have brought us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. For you are the eternal God and there is none like you. We rejoice in the fellowship today. We rejoice in your victory. In Yeshua's name, amen. Isaiah 56. We're going to try to get through Isaiah 56 and some of 57. And this is going to be possibly a little rough because that's the nature of the context of these passages. In fact, I think toward the end of our last study, Candace said it's time to, in a chat, it's time to step up our game. This is it. This is, this is going to be grinding it out today. And it's not one of those super duper um, exhorting type of messages as I was in meditation this morning. Um, I felt it was more of a prophetic message. So my prophet is going to be up. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough, but it's needed. And we all need that. Uh, we love, love, love receiving his love and his tenderness. That is not today. <laughs> today, Isaiah 56 and 57 is hard. It's let's go. It's time to get to work. All right. So that's what's going to happen. Um, Isaiah 56 to 59 is a little bit of a transition. Uh, it's all the same continuous message that we started from Isaiah 49, and we're going to get all the way to Isaiah 66. But after uh, Isaiah has laid the foundation of what the suffering servant did for us, and, and Molly said this, why do we go through all these things? Why did he have to go through all these things to undo everything that we have done and our forefathers have done? Now that all of that foundation is laid, now he's going to expose what's going on. So embrace it. This is all to help us um, diagnose our problems, the world's problems, and then get them fixed. So be holy as I am holy. It's a very prophetic passage, and this is what I want to set up. Isaiah 56.1 sets the whole tone, and we need to have a certain mentality when we read this. So Isaiah 56.1 says, thus says Yahuwah, keep you judgment and do justice. Zadik, Mishpat Zadik. For my salvation is near come and my righteousness to be revealed. 
Okay, so what's the setup? The setup is the first mention of this combination goes back to Genesis 18, 19 and talking about Abraham, but the first instance of this happening is Mount Sinai. Because justice and righteousness are the pillars of his throne and his throne came down on Mount Sinai. So what Isaiah is actually getting to is he's pointing us back and saying, put this in the context, Mount Sinai. And what happened at Mount Sinai? The people were supposed to come up to Mount Sinai, and this is where it's so prophetic, prepare themselves, sanctify themselves for three days, and then encounter the living God in full glory. And we know what happened. They weren't ready. That's why this setup is so important. Isaiah is saying, once again, I am going to prepare my people, sanctify them after three days, which he did at the cross, and prepare them to encounter the living God in full manifestation. Are you ready? That's the setup. That's the setup. Are we ready? And the justice and judgment being pillars of his throne means that his throne is about to be revealed and about to be present. I also think this is part of what's about to happen in the earth. When I say about to happen in the earth, I don't necessarily mean like an hour from after we finish up the study. And I don't necessarily mean next tomorrow. But we are in the precipice of this happening, and I can kind of see it. In fact, I've been, over the last couple of weeks, I've been seeing some of these things kind of unfold almost as if uh, when it's about to happen. Also keep in mind that Mount Sinai happened at Pentecost. It was 50 days after Passover. So what God really wanted to do with his people is bring them out of Egypt, deliver them, get them married, and then release the full expression of his spirit unto them right there in Exodus 20. And it didn't happen. Why not? Because they said, nope, we don't want to be priests. You're too scary. So Pentecost gets delayed like 1,500 years until Acts chapter 2. And repeatedly, we're supposed to go back to Exodus and the play out of what happened because it's going to play out and happen again. And then there's this constant theme of the former reign and the latter reign, and the latter reign is greater than the former reign, which means what happened in Acts chapter 2 is not as great as what will happen with the latter reign. But those reigns are tied back to Exodus 20 when God came down on Mount Sinai with thunderings and lightnings and earthquakes and arrows flying out, that's going to be like the latter rain. So he's saying to us in Isaiah 56 through 59, are you ready? 
You can be sanctified and not be ready. Israel was sanctified and cleansed for three days and they were not ready. Most of the body of Messiah is cleansed by the three days of Yeshua going into the belly of the whale, but they will not be ready for this. This is something different, folks. So that's the mentality I want you to have as we're about to dig into Isaiah 56. So much so that, turn to um, Revelation 19. So we started to get some more understanding about Revelation by understanding the city of Zion and then the counterfeit, the city of Babylon, and that the city of Babylon gets judged here in Revelation. Revelation 19, verse 1. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto Yahuwah our Elohim. Listen to this in verse 2. For true and righteous Zadik are your judgments tying back to the throne. Psalm 89 talks about his throne is established on justice and judgment, righteousness and judgment, and then before his face is truth. So all of those words are tied together. For true and righteous are his judgments, means his throne showed up. For he has judged the great whore, the city of Babylon, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Now, why are the saints gathered in heaven declaring how much in agreement they are with this judgment? I believe not only are they in agreement because they have revelation, because they participated in the judgment. For those of us that are going to pursue after and draw near to him in that latter rain time, he is going to give us the maturity and the understanding and the wisdom and the power and the authority of him to actually execute the judgment. I don't believe he's going to establish judgment by himself. He's going to do it in partnership with those people that are in agreement with him. So judgment's going to go through the body of Messiah. But you can't execute in that judgment if you turn away at the latter rain. There's going to be people and most people that will be sanctified that will actually not do it. There's a separation. To me, that's the mindset now of Isaiah 56. So back to verse 1. So the first mention uh, uh, of judgment and justice goes back to Abraham. So let's turn to Genesis uh, 18, verse 19. 
always important to understand the first mentions because that typically sets the context of when God uses these words. Genesis 18, verse 19. Speaking, this is Yahweh speaking about Abraham. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep, another big word we're going to get into, the way of Yahuwah to do justice and judgment that Yahuwah may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So if you actually have the, the throne of God, justice and judgment, I mean, and you're participating in that, you have to do justice and judgment. So you are participating in the nature of his throne. You are participating in having him manifest in your life. Then you have the blessings come forward. Another way to look at this is his throne doing justice and judgment is also his word. And Yeshua is the word. So the more we do his commandments, the more he manifests himself on the throne in our lives. So it's not just that we go and do. It's actually when we do, he manifests more. When we do him, when he lives more in us, when he manifests more in us, more of his presence happens. And then more righteousness and judgment follows. We do more righteousness and judgment and more of him follow. It's all together. It's all together. So this is a really big deal. Um, judgment. Judgment is the divine law or the verdict. So we have zadik, which is justice or righteousness, and we have judgment. The two go hand in hand. The Hebrew word uh, for word is shamar or dabar. I'm sorry, dabar, which is not a verb, it's a noun. So when Yahuwah spoke creation, it happened, it existed. It was action and a noun. And what he's saying with righteousness and judgment, this is why I'm harping on this so much right now, Righteousness is the doing. Judgment is the result of the doing. God's word is both the doing and the result of the doing. He spoke and creation existed. He did and it did. <laughs> he spoke the word and the word did. It existed. So when we do justice, the outcome is judgment. When we do righteousness, the outcome is judgment. Are you getting this? So when we actually participate in an act of righteousness, there is a following judgment that takes place that we participate in. 
and that we need to get aligned with. And then his throne starts to inhabit our act of justice. Very powerful. All of a sudden it's anointed. Because what's anointing is presence. Still in act, uh, Isaiah 56, 1. I'm, I skipped the word on purpose. It starts off by saying, thus says Yahuwah, keep. Keep, 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 keep. Real important. Um, that Hebrew word is shamar. Uh, it's Strong's 8184, first mention. Genesis 2. All the way back to Genesis 2. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's no way we're going to get, I thought we'd get through like two chapters today. <laughs> uh, Genesis 2, verse um, 15. Genesis 2.15. So Yahuwah Elohim took Adam, the man, and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it, means like take care of it, and to shamar it, keep it. It means to guard like a watcher. So Adam was placed in the garden to guard the garden, to be a watcher. And a watcher is to listen and to watch, to see what's going on and to protect it. So what, back to Isaiah 56, one is saying is protect your doing of righteousness, protect your doing of judgment, protect his presence in your life. Justice and judgment, throne, presence, all together. Because if you don't, if you don't protect that Mount Sinai encounter, it's going to disappear. It's going to flee. Isaiah 56, 1. <clears throat> uh, so now we get into some more kind of ump to us. Verse 2. Blessed is the man that does this actively participating, actively participating in revelation, justice and judgment, and the son of man that lays hold of it. Anytime you see that, you got man and the son of man. What he's getting at is, just like Abraham, I am doing this because I know Abraham will, he will keep justice and judgment and he will command his household, his children. So it's not only us, but it's also our offspring. We are getting it out we are mentoring we are parenting we are fathering and mothering this into other people that's what he's saying here we go that keeps the sabbath from polluting it and keeps his hand from doing any evil this is going to be a theme now for about two and a half three chapters Isaiah is going to reference the Sabbath multiple times. Real important. He doesn't mention circumcision. He doesn't mention any other things that we're supposed to do. He references the Sabbath. 
you want to start to get ready for the latter rain, keep the Sabbath and guard it. First mention of Sabbath, Exodus 16.23. And we're not going to go there, but the Exodus 16.23, I want you to think about the timing of it. This is before the encounter with Mount Sinai. They get pulled out of Egypt, and part of the preparation to go before Mount Sinai is to start keeping the Sabbath. Now, they actually were supposed to keep the Sabbath all along because even though that's the first mention of the word Sabbath, I think we've got to go all the way back to Genesis for really the first mention of Sabbath. That's Genesis 2. So back to Genesis 2. All of this goes all the way back to the beginning repeatedly is what Isaiah is getting at. Genesis 2, verse 3. And Elohim blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that he, rest, he had rested from all of his work which Elohim created and made. A little bit of a reference, a hint of he did righteousness, spoke word, and judgment, verdict. He did and he made. So if you want to start getting ready for the latter rain, if you're not doing it already, keep the Sabbath. So what's the importance of the Sabbath? Well, he put it in there for us, first of all, to remember he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. It takes us back to Genesis 2 right away. It's a resetting every week of our hearts and our spirits to him. Our spirits need rest at least every week. So there's a resetting. There's a collective resetting of the family of Yahuwah globally. If we all kept the Sabbath, even in this group right here, and we talked about all the nations that are representing the group, there is all of a sudden collective power in the family of Yah when we keep the Sabbath together as a family. If the broader bride tribe does it, keeps the Sabbath, now all of a sudden there is greater influence and greater resetting and greater honoring and remembrance of Yahuwah as the creator. There is a lot of power in also resetting creation because now we are representing Yahuwah's, what he did, to creation. We're reminding creation of the Sabbath. Hey, by the way, trees, you were created in the first six days, and now we're going to rest together. That's why Yahuwah's word also talks about the Sabbath of the land. He actually kicked Israel out of the land because the land needed Sabbath. All right, Israel, you're not going to keep the Sabbath? I need to get you out of the land because you're not even giving the land Sabbath. So creation needs to be reminded of this. This is real, real important in him. That's why he says, keep the Sabbath. So now the pollution piece. 
Pollution is the Hebrew word qualal, which actually means to profane or break one's word. So if we declare that he is creator, we need to keep the Sabbath. In a way, by not keeping the Sabbath, we're breaking our word and our declaration that he's the creator. So this is a really, really, really big deal. Final resetting of the Sabbath. It is to prepare us for this latter rain because we have a millennial that's going to be of rest. How can your spirit, soul, and body be in preparation of the millennial kingdom if you are not practicing the Sabbath which this is the millennial Sabbath to come. This has nothing to do with the book of the law. The Sabbath was before that. This actually has nothing to do with the book of the covenant. The Sabbath was before that. So keep the Sabbath. And I'll let the Holy Spirit tell you how to keep the Sabbath. So for those of you that are striving to draw near like Moses rather than step away like everyone else, here's just one thing. Do it really well. Keep the Sabbath. Let's keep going. Isaiah 56.3. I'm going to read verses 3 to 7 now, kind of in a group. So now that he says this, he's now going to also give some hard messages to people out there. Neither let the son of the stranger, so you have, remember I said you have a man and the son of man, so you have a person and then their offspring. So he's saying now you got someone who doesn't even belong naturally into Israel, you have the son or the offspring of that person. So it's kind of like the lowest of the low is kind of what he's getting at. So neither let the son of the stranger that has joined himself to Yahuwah speak saying, Yahuwah has utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, also lowest of the low, that I am a dry tree. For that says Yahuwah unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbath. And choose that please me to take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give my house. And within my walls a place and a name better than the sons or, and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. A little bit of a play on words there considering back to the eunuchs. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to Yahuwah. To serve him and to love the name of Yahuwah. To be his servants, every one that keeps the Sabbath from polluting it and takes hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain, which we know as Zion, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices shall be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. So what is he getting at with all of this? There's no excuse. There's no excuse when you're in the body of Messiah. 
There is no excuse that you think you're the lowest of the low. Gideon, I get it. You're from the smallest tribe, the smallest family within the tribe, and you're the least in your family. I don't care. There's no excuse for being a victim. If you're in the body of Messiah, you have the same Holy Spirit in you that's in me that rose Yeshua from the dead. Get over it. You can't go before God and go before the throne, and you're coming to Mount Sinai, and the latter rain's about to come out and say, wait, I'm, I'm a, a, a eunuch. I'm a dry tree. I'm not bearing very much fruit. Wait, I don't even, I just barely got here and I didn't really understand that I was supposed to draw near to you. No, there's no excuse. I didn't know I was supposed to keep the Sabbath. There was no excuse. That's what he's getting at. I told you this is going to be hard. Isaiah is trying to get us ready prophetically for him coming down in the latter rain. You can be sanctified and still draw away. So Yahuwah has no excuses for not being righteous or fruitful. This ties back also to me to what we learned in Isaiah 55, and that is his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And he's going to gather everybody, and it's going to surprise us who he gathers. He's going to be gathering eunuchs. He's going to be gathering the sons and daughters of strangers that don't seem like they belong, but those that draw near to him, anybody that has a heart to draw near to him and sanctifies themselves in that manner, he's actually going to elevate as a son and daughter. So get ready for this to look a little different. There's no excuses for being separate. There's no excuses for racism. There's no excuses for um, being prideful, superior, inferior. There's no excuses for victimhood because of birthright. It goes back to valuation. Those are Satan's values. God's valuation for each individual is himself. Satan's valuation is he values everybody to either zero or negative, neg some negative number. And then he separates everybody out in negatives. And Isaiah is saying, no excuse. I just told you about the suffering servant. I just told you where you were redeemed without money. I told you you could come and buy milk and honey without money. You have no excuse now. Step it up. What he's saying. So why pick on the eunuchs? <laughs> um, eunuchs often had influential positions, but it was almost as if they had no authority. They were in the know, but they had no authority. They were considered lowly servants. They, had, they could have no offspring, obviously. They were not aggressive. They were replaceable. They were like pawns. So he's saying, even if you think you've been, you're like a pawn, that you're just a chess piece somewhere. No excuse. <laughs> no excuse. You can be fruitful even as a eunuch, and you can be elevated even as a eunuch if you keep my Sabbath and you grab a hold of my commandments and love me. It's a great message, and it's an intense message. And then all of this gets fulfilled in Acts chapter, two, uh, Acts chapter 8 when Philip goes and speaks to the eunuch 
So Philip fulfills the word of saying, yeah, even the eunuch can get the Holy Spirit just like everybody else. So now think about the context of Yeshua when he gets in front of the synagogue for the first time and he reads Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. Everything that we've learned up until this point in Isaiah, this is all the context of, and the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me to preach good news to the humble to bind the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to open the prison doors to those that were bound, and to preach the acceptable year of Yahweh. This is the context. He's speaking to the eunuchs. He's speaking to the people that were victims. He was speaking to the people that were down and out. And he's saying, now's the time no more being a victim. Straighten up, strengthen up, let's go. All those passages go into that context. It really should blow any ceiling off, some false ceiling that you have on your ability to draw near. And we all do it to some degree. Oh, I can't draw near because I didn't spend uh, 24 hours in prayer today. Oh, I can't draw near because that's not my calling. My call, my call is is to be an evangelist. My call is to take care of my kids. Whatever. I, I've only been a believer for so many. Oh, uh, Dan wrote the prayers at Shake Kevin Book. He's the one that knows how to prayer, uh, knows how to pray. I can't do that. You got to blow the ceiling off. Blow it off. You have no excuses. This is a no excuse passage. No whiners. No victims. No complainers. No murmur. Isn't that what Israel did in the wilderness all the time? They were complaining and murmuring. Oh no! I wish I could go back to Egypt and have leeks and garlic. <laughs> I'm tired and sick of this man. I'm tired and sick of the quail. Stop complaining. Can you tell that my prophet's uh, a little bit up to date? <laughs> Let's keep going. Um, I got to keep jumping forward, keep jumping forward. Okay, Isaiah 56, verse 8. In Adonai, Yahuwah Adonai, which gathers the outcast, outcast of Israel, says, yet I will get other, gather others to him besides those that are gathered to him. The promises are always to Israel, always to Israel, always will be to Israel. But the way he's expanded out Israel is it's Israel plus all the other people that may or may not be part of Israel. It's all about the eunuchs <laughs> and everybody else, the strangers and the sons of the strangers that love him and keep his Sabbath and keep his commandments. So just this is a big, expansive message. Zion is for strangers who love him, even their sacrifices. Now we're going to transition. No excuses. Now there's a transition moment. And keep in mind that chapters 
and verse numbers are for our benefit by the translators. They weren't originally there. So all of a sudden there's a transition, but it is the same message. He was getting us strong to now do the diagnosis. And the next series of verses is a whole bunch of more diagnosis of what's going on around us. So verses nine, with verse, I'll start with verse 9. Isaiah 56, 9. All you beasts of the field come to devour all you beasts in the forest. Like, what? Where did that come from? Well, well first of all, there is a, a restoring that needs to take place. He said, this, you have no excuse. Now I'm about to tell you how to diagnose what's going on. The beast of the field meaning the beasts that are in the open, the obvious ones, the exposed ones. The beasts of the forest, those are the hidden ones, the ones in darkness. So we have both those that are known and those that are unknown. Now, this ties back when it talks about um, they come to devour. We actually get insight on what's happening. So first much mention of this word come, Deuteronomy 33, uh, 2. So turn, turn back to Deuteronomy 33. It's like, where are these beasts coming from? This is what happens. Deuteronomy 33. Again, Moses is about to uh, have the people cross the Jordan, go into the promised land. He has to stay back. So he's giving a recap on a whole bunch of things in Israel's history. Deuteronomy 33, verse 2. Look what it refers to. And he said, Yahuwah came from Sinai, back to the mountain. Another reference. All, this whole message is about the latter rain and his appearance in Mount Sinai again. And rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of his saints. From his right hand was a fiery law for him. So here's the tie. Even in Isaiah 56, 9, when it talks about all the beasts of the field come to devour and all the beasts of the forest, there's a reference back to Sinai. So he's tying the two together. This message is for a time future of the latter rain when he pours out his presence, just like he poured out his presence in Sinai. And there is now a contrast. When he came he came with ten thousands of his saints, the host of heaven. Instead, when he is not coming and he is not establishing his throne and you go seek another, you seek idols, there's going to be tens of thousands of the enemy, which are the beasts of the field and the beasts of the forest coming against you. Not only do you either get to choose Yahuwah or not Yahuwah, you get to choose the verdict, the judgment, which is 10,000 of his saints, or you get to choose the verdict of the idol, which is 10,000 beasts. You get both. The choosing and the verdict. You get to choose good and evil, and the outcome of good and evil comes with it. Which one do you choose? So for you, those of you that are claiming victimhood status and complaining 
that you can't draw near to God, guess what you now, you've come to an agreement with the enemy, and instead of getting 10,000 of saints with him, 10,000 angels, you get 10,000 beasts coming at you, some that are exposed in the field and some that are hidden in the forest. And now you have to start going into warfare. It's worse. It's worse. It's worse. Verse 10. And I forgot to mention this before. Um, Isaiah is going to reference his. His is referring to Israel. And you can go back and, and, and see that uh, talking about the sons of the strangers I will bring to my holy mountain. is talking about Israel. Um, and Israel now is the strangers and the eunuchs and the sons of the strangers that are all joined to Israel through Yahweh. So it's, it's everybody that's his. So his references our Israel watchmen. Our watchmen are blind. Israel's watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are dumb dogs. Dumb meaning they don't bark. They cannot bark. They sleep. They lie down. They love to slumber. They're even greedy. means they're, they're constantly just eating and they are never filled. They can never have enough. So I'm going to stop there. You got a watchman group. This is for us, by the way, our watchmen. Then we transition to another group. And the shepherds, our shepherds, cannot understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his own gain from his own quarter. They say, come, I'll fetch some wine, and we will fill ourselves with strong drink. And tomorrow will be like this day and much more abundant. So we got our watchmen and our shepherds. So what's going on here in detail? Well, first of all, we need to understand what a watchman is. Um, Ezekiel was called to be a watchman. And we won't reference that, um, read that, but it's Ezekiel 33, verses 2 to 9, if you want to dig into what a watchman is. It really lays it out really well on, on Ezekiel. But a watchman is supposed to have eyes and ears to see what's coming against the people. It's more so um, a, a watchman looking at the enemy, enemy's approach. What's about to happen? Who's coming against the gate? That's what a watchman does. So when a watchman cannot bark or goes dumb, they might know what's happening, but they can't speak it. So now the people don't know the enemy's approaching. And what was said to Ezekiel is, Ezekiel, I'm going to show you what's happening, and you need to speak it. If you don't speak it, the souls of those people are on your head as watchmen. But if you speak it and they don't do it, then the souls are on their heads. So as a watchman is dumb or doesn't speak, that's the watchman's fault. He's now, he can't speak anymore. Now you're getting no signal, warning signal into the people. So what does the enemy do? He takes out the watchman. Sometimes how he does it is he makes the watchman slumber or sluggish. They're not on point. 
How do you get on point? Staying time, spending time in prayer, spending time with Yahweh so that you can see what's coming. That's part of it. He'll also take out the watchman because the watchman will sometimes give up speaking because the people don't hear. Kind of like what Timothy was saying is that in the last days, be wary, be cautious because the message, they'll just want to hear with tickling ears. Just give us a message that's easy. Give us a message that we can take, that we like, that brings us smiles on our face. Typically, that's not a watchman. So if a watchman is crying out over and over again, not being heard, sometimes the watchman will just give up and go to sleep. So that's happening. Shepherds. Shepherding is hard. I'm, I'm kind of glad I'm not a shepherd. <laughs> Shepherding is hard. You have to take the sheep are always in need of food. The sheep are always in need of protection. The sheep aren't, aren't really smart. It's not a smart animal. The sheep need to be cleaned. They need to be shorn. I mean, it's constantly giving, 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 giving. That's what a shepherd is. So at some point in time, a shepherd may just say, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm just going to hang out and drink. <laughs> I've had enough. I'm going to have some wine and help myself. I'm going to satisfy my soul. And maybe I'll do it even more tomorrow than I did today. That's what he's saying. Is now, so now the shepherds have kind of given up. There's a frustration with the shepherds. And that's because the shepherds aren't being mentored. Both shepherds and watchmen need to be mentored and fathered. And Paul said there's many teachers, but few fathers. Because you don't just get called and you're a watchman. You don't just get called and all of a sudden you're a shepherd. You can be called, but then you have to grow into it over maturity. And by the way, for those of you that are going after this thing in warfare, uh, oh, there's so much stuff going on. You also need to be fathered. I pray um, with a lot of different people. And so much of the time, people that feel that they are spiritual, they are spending most of their time in the second heaven. Second heaven, battle, battle, battle. Second heaven is also plans of the enemy on what could happen or what they want to happen. I was talking to Dan about this, Dan and Christian, a couple of days ago. I spend most of my time in prayer and worship in the third heaven, just hanging out with God. That's the majority of my quiet time. And then every once in a while, I will be led to go to war on something. That doesn't happen every day. It actually happens pretty rarely, maybe like once a week. And when I go to war, all of a sudden something happens in the news. But it's because I spend so much time in the third heaven. I ignore most of the plans of the enemy because they're not going to come to pass. Not on my watch. Not under the shadow of his wings. Most Christians that are active in the spirit are flailing around with swords and knives and they're in the dark and slow down. So what's the point? Keep the Sabbath. The more you keep the Sabbath in a place of rest, the more he fights for you. Your job is to stay in the sheepfold under the shadow of his wings. 
and enjoy his presence. I have a banquet table for me in the midst of my enemies. He doesn't say, Todd, you, gotta, you, you can't sit down right now. You got to go fight. No, he says, come and sit and eat and enjoy. All right, about it. I got to fight for you. And then every once in a while, he has me join him for my benefit, my privilege in the battle so that I can see another aspect of his character. So keep that in mind, Sabbath, 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 Sabbath. Isaiah 57, <clears throat> verse one. There's a little hint now of what I just mentioned. The righteous perish and no man lays it to heart and merciful men are taken away. None considering the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. He shall enter into peace, Sabbath, in a way. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his own uprightness. So now we got two little groups here. So we just talked about the watchmen slumbering, not speaking. We just talked about the shepherds not shepherding, drinking. And why were they, what were they supposed to do? They were supposed to take care of the sheep. Some of the sheep get taken away by the enemy. They're righteous, but they get taken away. Some of the sheep, even with bad watchmen and bad shepherds, have a place of peace, and they actually walk in uprightness. It's really subtle of what he says in Isaiah 57 too. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, walking in their uprightness, even with bad shepherds and bad watchmen. But then there's other sheep in verse 1 that perish. You see the contrast there? They're both righteous, but one has found a place of peace. Transition again. All one big message. Transition again. Isaiah 57, verse 3. This is, um, this is interesting because this is both, uh, this, uh, Isaiah 57, 3 to 13 is now going to give us insight on our enemy coming against us and how the enemy has taken us in a place that is trying to prevent us from drawing near when he manifests again in the latter rain. And because it's exposed, Isaiah is exposing this now, this is a, a blueprint. It's an instruction guide on how to get free and how to get beyond just the sanctification of the three days in the blood of Yeshua, but get to the place where you are ready for his manifest presence. Isaiah 57.3. See how he's just, he's, he's hitting different groups in the body and different aspects of it. Isaiah 57.3. But draw near here. Now, why is he saying draw near here to this group? because he's also really speaking to us. Draw close, listen really closely. 
you sons of the sorceress, the seed of the adulterer, and the whore. So let's set the stage. We got sorcery and we have adultery. Sorcery is lies. Let's think about it in the framework of lies. It's a covering up, right? A magician will say, look over here in this hand, but they're actually doing something in this hand. It's a covering up. It's a lie. Adultery is idolatry. So there's both lies and idolatry. Lies and idolatry. Satan is the father of lies, and he is the one that wants to be worshipped. This is where it's coming down to. Let's read some more verses, and then we're going to back up and really dig into this. So this is a message of lies and idolatry that have infiltrated. They're our enemy, but they've also infiltrated. And you're going to see that they actually took over leadership positions in Israel and in our lives. This is not talking about liars and, and idolaters that are outside of our lives. They have infiltrated the body of Messiah. They have infiltrated our own lives. And Isaiah is saying, we got to root these things out. Verse 4. I'm going to read all the way to 13, and then we'll back up and start un unfolding this. So Isaiah 57, 4 to 13, speaking to the sorceress and the adulterer, the liar and the idolater, against whom do you sport yourselves? Against whom do you make a wide mouth and draw out the tongue? Are you not children of transgression, a seed of falsehood? Inflaming yourselves with idols under every green tree, slaying the children in the valleys under the clefts of the rock. Among the smooth stones of the streams is your portion. They are your lot. Even to them have you poured a drink offering. You have offered a meat offering. Should I receive comfort in these? Upon a lofty and high mountain have you set your bed. Even there did you go up to offer sacrifice. Behind the doors also and the post have you set up your remembrance. For you have discovered yourself to someone other than me and are gone up and you have enlarged your bed and made a covenant with them. You love their bed where you saw it. And you went to the king with ointment and did increase your perfumes and did send your messengers afar and did debase yourself even unto Sheol. You are wearied in your greatness of your way. You have said you not, there is no hope. You didn't say to yourself, there's no hope. You have found life in your own hand. Therefore, you were not grieved. And of whom have you been afraid or feared? That you have lied and have not remembered me, nor laid it to heart. Have I not held my peace even from ancient times? And you have not feared me? I will declare your righteousness and your works for they will not profit you. I'm going to read halfway through verse 13. When you cried, let your companions deliver you, but the wind shall carry them all away. 
vanity shall take them. And I'm going to stop there because then there's another transition. So what's going on here? First of all, let's jump ahead to verse 14. Because the transition in 13 is, he will, but he that puts his trust in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. So now all of a sudden there's a transition to the people that actually don't do all these things and don't listen to all these people. Verse 14, and shall say, so those that put their trust in them shall say, cast you up, cast you up, prepare the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. So now, why did I jump ahead to the stumbling block? Because the stumbling block is what the sorceress and the adulterer, the idolater, have done to his people. So let me show you this. Stumbling block. Um, cast up is the Hebrew, way, uh, Hebrew word uh, 5549, which is salal, and it means to make plain. Doesn't even sound like cast up, cast up a stumbling block. No, no, actually make plain or just level it out. Now, what's the first mention of this? First mention is real important. What Isaiah is just brilliant in some of the stuff that that the Holy Spirit is un unfolding here. I, um, Exodus chapter nine. I know this is is going to be kind of complex, but it'll kind of work its way together. Here, Isaiah. I mean Exodus chapter nine. And we're going to get the first mention of cast up or salal. Exodus chapter 9, verse 17. Think about the context. He is talking to Pharaoh. And what's, so what's going on it is his people in bondage and need to be freed before they get to Mount Sinai. So Exodus 9, verse 17. And yet, you exalt yourself against my people that you will not let them go. So that whole comment about letting them go is actually making it plain, allowing them to leave bondage. So part of the tie that Isaiah is making about the stumbling block is the context of letting his people go. Let's keep going back on the stumbling block now. So back to Isaiah 57, 14 and the stumbling block. That word stumbling block is Strong's 4383, which is milk shoal. First mention, Leviticus chapter 19. Now you're going to see the whole tie. Leviticus 19. Um, Verse 14, Leviticus 19, 14. You shall not curse the deaf. Can't hear. Nor put a stumbling block before the blind. So we have his people needing to be set free from bondage, and the stumbling block to prevent them from being free from bondage is sight and hearing. And what happened with the watchmen? No hearing. They couldn't speak. 
we have a problem with sight and hearing. So you have the lies and the adultery or the idolatry that's going to be infiltrated into the body of Messiah and infiltrated into our own lives. It goes back to a lack of hearing his word and a lack of seeing his face. Sight and hearing. That's why repeatedly throughout scripture, and Yeshua said this over and over again, they have eyes and they cannot see. They have ears and they cannot hear because it's a stumbling block. That's the whole definition of a stumbling block. So the first order is to open our eyes and ears. And that's actually making plain or getting free from bondage. That's a stumbling block. So now let's go back to Isaiah 57 verse 4, and start unveiling this. Against whom? So, Father, remove the stumbling block before us that we can see your face and that we can hear your voice. In our spirits, in our souls, and in our bodies. I'll share this with you guys, too. So, quick side note. I, I was praying for uh, uh, about somebody that God put, placed on my heart. And someone I know, um, not here in this group, someone I know, and they, their will, what God revealed to me is they had this, this, uh, this, this portion, this segment of their soul that is controlled by anger and hatred. And the root of it is racism. So you got ang anger and hatred. And whenever there is some kind of truth that comes into this person's life to try to get speak to his intellect. Anger and hatred rise up. And they actually block truth from being received into the intellect. So even though this guy is really smart, he can't hear and see. Because anger and hatred, those parts now, are preventing his intellect from receiving truth a stumbling block. If his intellect could receive the truth, that would then be coordinated with the rest of his soul because his will is totally for Yeshua. And his intellect doesn't have the opportunity because the emotions of anger and hatred are blocking intellect from receiving truth. It's a stumbling block. Isaiah 57, 4. Angel, um, Satan comes as an angel of light. This is part of the deception, part of the lies. So he comes to sport himself, and he makes a wide mouth. Isaiah 57, 4 means he is trying to capture as many people as possible. It's a big net that he's casting of these lies. These are big, fat, honking lies that are not just little subtle lies that are going into somebody. These are worldwide. These are mountains, like the seven mountains. These are huge lies, huge lies. And he's making fun of us. He's making sport of us because he's coming as an angel of light. He's mocking us. 
to Yahweh, look at these dumb sheep that are believing my lies. That's why repeatedly in the New Testament, be not deceived. You have to be on guard all the time. Even in warfare, you are moving in the spirit. You can be deceived in warfare by warring against the wrong thing. What does the sorceress do? Here, come war over here, but actually I'm going to do something over here. And you actually think that you're on target when you are so far off target and you're going to get exhausted. That's not what God's called you to do. That can be a lie. He can lie to us in warfare when we're moving in the spirit. And he mocks us. Verse 5, inflaming yourselves, oh, this is just terrible, with, with idols under every green tree, slaying the children in the valleys of the clefts of the rock. The root of idolatry in the fallen angels that want to be worshipped, the root of their power source is the blood of the innocent. It's the slain of the children. The green trees represent the places that they have their idols. But the root, their power source, is the blood of the innocent. It's a counterfeit to what's our power source, the blood of Yeshua. We're the only ones that have truly innocent blood. But the closest thing that they can get to to their power source being innocent is the blood of children. That's where the power is. I I remember God showed me graphically one uh, time in prayer, and I, I and I've been there a few times under the earth. There is uh, a place that these beings. Uh, from Revelation 9, are being created. They're being bred. They're being created. They're just disgusting, awful-looking beings. And the blood from the earth, from the innocent, we know that it cries out just like it cried out, Abel's blood cried out from the earth. The blood of the innocent actually drips into the earth, and they collect it empower up these creatures that are going to come out in Revelation 9. That is their power source, is the blood of the innocent. It's all the abortions, which are not abortion, they're child sacrifices. All the stuff that happens in SRA, all the stuff that even from adults, when, when they send us off to war, those are sacrifices. When, when, when an unclean spirit stirs someone up in anger and hatred and kills another person, it's a sacrifice. We have sacrifice upon sacrifice upon sacrifice. It's dripping blood into the earth and powering up these beings. It's their counterfeit to our blood, which is Yeshua's blood. This is the root. 
That's why it says inflaming yourselves with the idols and with the child sacrifice. That is how they get powered up. And for those of you who say, hey, that's, that's not me, and maybe I, I believed that in the past, maybe I had an abortion in the past, I'm cut off from that, I, I repented from that. This is how, how much he mocks us. If you are involved in the entertainment mountain and have adjoined yourself to it, I don't mean watch it, understand it. You have enjoined yourself to it. The entertainment mountain in the kingdom of this world is powered by blood sacrifices of children. I'm going to get real now. We're in a political season. If you are supporting people that you don't know, and by the way, I don't know any of our U.S. politicians directly, so I can't say that I know them. If you are supporting anyone that either agrees with or lets go and does not speak out about child sacrifice, you have enjoined them indirectly. You have enjoined yourself to them indirectly to this. Yahweh wants holiness. He wants pure, clean streams. Whether it's government, whether it's business, whether it's entertainment, oh boy. Whether it's religion, that's the whole thing about these 5013Cs, is you are indirectly enjoining yourself to a government that funds child sacrifice. So he's mocking us from the forest. The beasts of the forest are hidden. And he's infiltrated the body of Messiah. Now all of a sudden we have covenants and agreements we don't even know we have with. So how can we be ready to visit him when he comes down on Mount Sinai? We're sanctified. We've prepared for three days. We've got new garments. But we can't see the manifestation of his presence because we got so many ties into the enemy who's lied to us and has idols and we're actually worshiping the idols and ties indirectly. We don't even know it. So Isaiah's not saying it's them. He's saying it's you too. You've been indirectly connected. Keep going. Isaiah 57, 6 through 8. Among the smooth stones in the stream is their portion. They are your lot. Even to them have you poured drink offerings and have offered a meat offering. Should I receive comfort in these? So interesting that God is actually saying to these people, because they've actually taken on us, they're, we're, we're, they're our leaders. They become our religious leaders. They're our teachers. They're our politicians. They're our business leaders. They're, they're our bosses. Oh, so so often. I've had bosses that have declared things that are trying declared things trying to trying to declare things over me. They don't even know because they're trying to bring me into agreement with them. They desperately want my agreement, even though they don't know why they want my agreement. You know why they want my agreement? Because they want to infiltrate me. 
and they know that I am bringing a certain anointing, even though they don't know that I'm bringing a certain anointing. They just know it. So I have someone, for example, that will, will say, well, okay, I'm going to do this, this thing that you don't agree with, Todd, but would you mind coming into agreement with me? I need your support. It may not be blatantly, openly unrighteous, but it could be indirectly, subtly, hidden unrighteous, and they want my support. They want to make a tie in agreement with me, even though I know it's wrong. I don't do it anymore. I stand firm. In my career in GE, that cost me elevation in GE. They wanted me to come into their upper echelons in the circle, high, high and lifted up. And I said, no, not doing it. This is always going to happen to the body of Christ. Because the more holy you get, the more he manifests in you. The more he manifests in you, the more the 10,000 of the saints are with you. The more his anointing and his presence. And the more justice and judgment come with you. They want to get agreement on that anointing and then to take the anointing away. Don't do it. Verse 7. So he's saying, do I receive comfort in these? Because he's actually speaking now to us and our leadership. Verse 7. And upon a lofty and high mountain have you set your bed. This bed thing, it's always talking about adultery or idolatry. That's what it means. And it's a high and lofty mountain. These are the mountains of the kingdoms of this world. Goes back to Yeshua saying, if you had faith, like the seed of a grain of mustard seed, you would declare to that mountain and be cast into the sea. That is what's going to happen. It's going to be all of these mountains, high and lofted up. Verse, verse 8. Behind the doors also and the post, you have set up your remembrance. So they've infiltrated the body of Christ in all these aspects of our lives. And now they also are still sacrificing to idols in the midst of us. For you have discovered yourself to someone else other than me. You've attached yourself to fallen angels and are gone up and have enlarged your bed. And it keeps getting worse. It's like a snowball effect. You enjoin yourself to one false idol indirectly. Then it's another one. Then it's another one. Then it's another one. Verse 9. And you went to the king with ointment and did increase your perfumes, and did send your messengers afar off and debased yourself to Sheol. The sending with the king means they now have taken over the rulership of the entire kingdoms of this world because the king of this world, the prince of this world, is Satan. These fallen beings who have now infiltrated Humanity, humanity has come into agreement. 
they now are being elevated before Satan and they are saying, look at all the souls I brought with me. Look at all the covenants and agreements that they made with me. Hey, Satan King, it's for you. Isaiah is not saying this to the Canaanites. He's saying this to Israelites. This is not a message for somebody else. This is the message for us. Our souls have been somehow tied through agreements and covenants with the enemy, and they have been presented before the king of this world. Not the king of kings. First mention of king, Genesis 14. This is a study on first mentions. First mentions of king, Genesis 14. Speaking of the king, first mentions of the king. And it came, Genesis 14, verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Aramphel, king of Shinar, who is commonly believed to be Nimrod. So now we got this battle of the kings. We got a whole bunch of Canaanite kings in battle. Over the earth. So when the fallen angels get in agreement with the leadership within Israel and present them before the king, it's the fallen angels. It's a battle over the whole earth amongst the Canaanites, the Canaanite kings, the fallen angels. It's all tied together. Verse 11. Oh, oh, verse 10. You are wearied in your greatness in the way. You didn't say that there is no hope. You have found life in your own hand. Therefore, you were not grieved. So part of the message of these entities and the people that truly agree with them, we see this in our politics. The people that are actually committing these crimes, they think they're going to get off scot-free. Because their message to themselves is, hey, it's all good. I'm covered. This is our world. These are our mountains. I have protection. This is a message for today as well, as we see throughout all the mountains. They're saying, hey, nothing's going to happen to me. And of whom have you been afraid or feared that you lied and have not remembered? By the way, this goes back to Solomon. Because the opposite of thinking you're good in a negative way is because you lack the fear of Yahuwah. And that's what verse 11 is saying. You have not feared me. I'm going to stop and share with you now some prayer things. It's already 1130. I did power through almost to 57. (laughs) I'm going to stop and show how to pray. Because there's a a blueprint here. So one thing we just read in verse 11. Pray that the fear of Yahuwah goes into the enemy's camp. 
pray that every part of your being experiences the fear of Yahuwah. Because not only is this is for our enemy, this is that part of us that has agreed with the enemy. And what happened at Mount Sinai? Moses said, don't be afraid. God is here to prove you that you would fear him. Because if you fear him, if the fear of his true spirit of the fear of Yahuwah comes, it drives you away from disobedience. So pray that the fear of Yahuwah goes into the enemy's camp and pray that the fear of Yahuwah goes into every aspect of your being, spirit, soul, and body. Backing up to verse 4. Verse 4 is about mocking. Pray that the mockers are exposed and that's reversed on their own heads. And for us, pray that the mocking that comes at us falls to the ground like a rock. Repent from hearing mocking and coming to agreement with mocking. The the whole um, idiom of turning the other sheep, it wasn't that Yeshua was saying, turn the other sheep when you're struck. You get hit in the face, give them your other cheek so they can hit you. That wasn't it. The, the expression was, it was like a slap on the face as a point of shame. So if someone speaks a shameful or a mocking word to you, let it fall to the ground and be so confident that you can even receive another shameful comment on your other cheek. That's where it's coming from. So pray that mocking falls to the ground and has no place in you. Verse 4. Verse 5. When you pray, and you pray only as you feel led, don't go after these, <clears throat> these fallen, these, these idolatrous places of trees and idols unless you feel led to externally. But you take those down, and the way you take them down is you take out their power sources which is the blood sacrifice. However, everyone needs to know that you need to have the Holy Spirit examine you and ask if there's any false trees in you, any ties to any false trees. And when you cut the root down, it's the blood sacrifices that they're tied to. Verses six through eight, there's a whole bunch of leadership folks that are constantly making deals with the enemy. 
upon lofty mountains. Every day, I pray to release the breaker angels to break down any flatten, any mountain or hill in my way. According to my calling and assignment. And for those that have dug under the ground, I say level any valley. That's the whole component of flatten the mountains, level the valleys, straighten the crooked paths, make plain the rough places. That's what it's getting at. Not only for the enemy, again, only as you feel led by the spirit to do that externally, but for you. Again, make plain, remove the stumbling blocks. Holy Spirit, in me, have there been any mountains that are not of you established? Have there been any valleys that have been dug out? Have there been any crooked paths that I have come into agreement with? Are there any rough plains inside of me? That's our prayer. Because those are ways that the enemy has had a stumbling block in us. Verse 9, uh, now Dan, in his prayer language, has a lot more fun. Verse 9 to me, this is where I would have fun. They go before the king. May they fall on their face. May they be forced before Satan to give a report on how they failed. May all the souls that they've come into agreement with be not only cut off and removed and placed back to where they belong, but may they go there with empty knapsacks. May their nets be filled with holes and empty. And may the perfume be that of poison. Replacing perfume all over them, reverse it. Make it consume their flesh. May the stench of death be all around them. Right? So these are all prayer points that Isaiah is laying out for us. Back to the transition in verse 13. And I think I'll stop um, just a couple of verses. So he lays this out for Israel, for us. Second half of verse 13. But he that puts his trust in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Remember, he said that the eunuch would do that. He said the son of the stranger would do that. He said that Israel would do that. This is all going back to Zion. This is all one, one whole thing. And shall say, so those that trust him, they shall say, make plain, prepare the way, take out the stumbling block out of the way of my people. So this is another cry out from Zion. For you that understand this and have the anointing, the eyes and the ears to pray this way, pray 
the stumbling block be removed. That means open the eyes of his people. Open the ears of his people that truth can get in, that they can see his face. Because it's the sorceress and it's the idolater that has taken away the sight and sound. Verse 15, for thus says the high and lofty one. He's mocking the fallen angels who have placed themselves on high and lofty places. See that? He's mocking them. He's saying, no, 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 no. I am the high and lofty one. In fact, you're so low, I can't even see you. You're so low, I've just shared with my people how to take you out. For thus says the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity. I, I love that he throws that in there. You're little, you're low, and you have limited time. He just did a massive comparison of just a couple of his attributes and put it into context. And part of what he's seen is he's seen that our spirits also should be high and lifted up with him, but they have brought down low as they have been infiltrated by these creatures. And he's saying, don't worry about it. My spirits that I created, they also are with me in eternity. They also are high and lifted up. I dwell in the high and holy place with him that is also a, that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, neither will I always be angry, for the spirit shall, uh, should fail before me in the souls which have made. What he's saying is, the souls and the spirits that I have made, they would be worn out if I didn't come and rescue them. But because I'm high and lifted up and I am eternal, I am going to bring them out of this terrible mess above those that call themselves high and lofty, above those that have presented them to the king of this world. I am going to bring them up because if I didn't do it, they would be weary. So high and lofty ones, I am the eternal one. And it's my name that's above your name. And that's what he's reminding us of. We'll stop. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is encouragement. We thank you that your word activates the watchmen amongst us. Your word activates the shepherds amongst us. In fact, you said to pray, pray that you would raise up leaders into the harvest. So we pray that the watchmen would awaken and be given a voice amongst your people. We pray that the shepherds would become sober and mature and take care of your people. We pray that the interceders would have revelation on how to pray and how to take out the enemy by spending time with you in the third heaven. We pray that your sheep would have eyes to see and ears to hear what is happening in the earth. 
that can see your face and hear your voice. We pray that the lies of the, of the sorceress that have been cast upon this world, that there would be a breaking right now. So we take the hammer and break the shelter and the spirit of lies that is over the earth. That truth would be able to permeate, permeate their hearts. We pray for an exposure of the idolatry and the child sacrifices and the sacrifices of the blood of the innocent, that people would have a choice in the valley of decision between good and evil, that they would be brought to a place that they could see Mount Ebal, they could see Mount Mizram and say, there's blessings and cursings in this day we choose life. Father, may we be people that draw near to you when you manifest yourself in earthquakes and thunderings and lightnings and arrows and voices and tremblings. For you are preparing your bride to be holy as you are holy. May our entire beings be sanctified. And I declare, be strong and courageous to everyone here. Be strong and courageous. For if Yahuwah is with you, who can be against you? Father, we look forward to that day in the second exodus where you are going to set us all completely and totally free. But we will no longer say, remember Yahuwah who set Israel free from Egypt, but remember Yahuwah who set us free. We look forward to that day when we no longer say in the book of Acts that you poured out your spirit in, 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 upon, upon your, your believers and say what a great day that was. But we will say, Remember the day when you poured out the latter rain upon us to do justice and judgment in the earth. And we will stand with you in the heavens and say, righteous and true are your judgments. For you have judged the great whore, the city of Babylon, and all of her inhabitants. We ask that we would say yes to be your weapons of indignation today. We say yes to your spirit to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say yes to being a bride without spot or wrinkle. Have your way in us to prepare us to be more like Yeshua in every way possible. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've just listened to Todd Talks here at Bride Ministries International. Be sure to visit our website at bridemovement.com. You can support us by leaving a donation. You can also check out our other offerings, such as our church. You can check out our institute. 
We offer prayer resources and, of course, so much more. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.